that dives into the minds of the best softball players in the world to discover how they train and maintain success in this sport of failure. Today, I am joined by the legendary, the one, the only, the woman with that dangerous, dangerous drop ball, Kat Osterman, former three-time National Player of the Year, four-time All-American, and two-time Olympic medalist. Osterman helped lead the University of Texas to three Women's College World Series appearances in 2003, 2005, and 2006. I don't know if you guys guessed it or not, but it is time to be hard-headed. Kat, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I know training by yourself, you said it's getting a little... It's getting a little difficult. How are you maintaining that mental capacity to keep going? You know, I think obviously when there's a little bit of a light in the tunnel, regardless of how long the tunnel is, it helps. But I think, you know, just knowing what your ultimate goals are every day, I wake up and just know a workout's going to keep me in shape to hopefully be better. Obviously for me, it's long-term for the Olympics in in July of 21. But even just knowing that that's going to put me in a good position come August when you and I get to play together for the first time with Athletes Unlimited, but you have to keep what your ultimate goal is in mind. And not that I wake up every morning and say, you're getting better for the Olympics today, but as things get hard, you just remember that what's what's the end point that you're training for. And so constantly just remind myself of that and obviously have a circle of people that, you know, can put the hand on your back and give you the gentle push when you start to forget that you can do it or what the ultimate goal is. And you start to get distracted by, just kind of the momentary of Groundhog's Day 526. I mean, I feel like I wake up wake up and do the same training regimen. You know, I know you've been on training schedules where like you do the same thing for four weeks and it has its purpose. But when you don't have other things mixed in socially right now, it starts to feel like, okay, is this week two, five, ten? But it's been a mental grind more than a physical grind. But again, I just I know that every day. I continue to do something. I'm getting a little bit better and a little bit better and just staying staying in shape because I don't want to lose something and have to try to hurry up and get back in shape. You are preaching right now with the mundaneness and always having to try to keep moving even though you don't feel like it. Has that mentality something you had to develop over time where you know there's days you just don't feel like doing it. There's days where it seems like you're doing the same thing over and over. But is it just the goal that keeps you moving or is it something you instilled in you all the way back to playing when you were younger or playing at Texas that really helped you continue to push forward to now have that mentality today? One, I mean, it was first instilled, obviously, most of us, mom or dad gets us involved in sport. And so for me, my dad, obviously, was very athletic. He's the one that sat on the bucket and caught me for a long, long time. But when I first started pitching, I loved it. I love, I enjoyed being in the circle, enjoyed being able to throw, you know, however many pitches in a game and be involved. Um, that was coming from being a soccer goalie where I wasn't involved and I watched my team run the whole the whole game. So I wanted something more. And as soon as I started pitching, he kind of instilled in me a thought process that has stuck to this day. And 
he told me, he was like, if you don't practice, I'm not paying for your lesson at the end of the week, which fair enough. I wish more parents did that these days to make it motivated for your kids. So to this day, I can count on one hand, probably the amount of times my dad had to, what I say, make me go throw and really be like, no, you need to throw today when you didn't, when I didn't feel like it or I didn't want to. And so that kind of put into me a thought process of, okay, if I want this, then I need to put in the effort and I need to commit to going to practice. And then the other part of that was when we would go in the driveway. And again, it doesn't have to be an hour every day. Sometimes we only had 20 minutes because I had basketball practice or he had a meeting or, you know, something, but it was whatever time we spent out there, it was going to be purposeful. There was going to be intent. And even if it was just spins or a, a light day, we were still going to have a focus and working and not just kind of going through the motions. And so I've carried that with me for a long, long time. And, you know, I think growing up, especially as a pitcher, the mundane hits really fast because, I, you know, youth, youth sports right now, everybody wants to have seven pitches. And I'm like, if you can't control your fastball, what are we doing throwing things that move? And, but it's mundane. It's mundane to throw fastball after fastball after fastball for two and a half, three years sometimes. And to get people to understand that is, is hard, but we did that. You know, he was, I don't know if it was my pitching coach or my dad, but it worked out. And I think obviously I don't throw 68 and blow it by people and can kind of miss down the middle and get away with it too often. But because I can locate the things that do move because I was able to locate a fastball at a young age and get through the mundane, you know, has helped in my pitching success, but it also helps when you get in these ruts and it feels like the same thing day after day, you know, that the mundane, sure, it gets boring, sure, it gets tiresome. Sometimes we get frustrated, but there's a purpose for it. And you just have to remember that on the other side of that, you get to do the fun things, the flashy things, you know, the mundane pays off later in the game. I'm sure you're faster than anything. Running sprints may not be the most fun thing all the time, but you know what, when you're safe at second, that's the flashy part that, that pays off. That is really an amazing philosophy because you think I absolutely hate running hate it, but I understand. I actually ran track in middle school and not because I like to run track, it was because I just knew I would win. I just like winning. <laughs> but I love the story you shared about your dad. My dad told me something very similar when I was younger about there's always someone better than you. And for whatever reason, 11-year-old me couldn't stand the thought of someone being better than me. And that's really what pushed me every single day to go out and do the things that are mundane, right? The drills, things you don't want to do every day to get better. For you, when you speak about pitching and how you are having to make sure the reason why you are so great is your location, the reason you are so great is your spin, did you always just decide, I'm going to focus on perfecting my craft with these one or two pitches before I move on to the next? Or did you have an idea of, let me have a whole bunch of eggs in one basket? No, I think, you know, we did the, what was not normal thing. And I tell this story a lot of times. I was actually a rise ball pitcher before I was a draw ball pitcher. Most people don't know that. I know, crazy to think about. But I went through most of travel ball only throwing a rise ball. But I also practiced that rise ball in my driveway for nine months before I ever threw it in a game. Because my dad was like, we're not going to just spin it correctly for two days in a row and then all of a sudden go throw in a game because if it doesn't work, confidence is lost, mechanics go down the drain, you know, all these things. And some of that came from my pitching coach too. I mean, he had a very good philosophy and if you bought into it, most of his pitchers were successful. In fact, LSU great, Kristen Schmidt and I went to the same guy. And so I feel like her development and my development probably mirrored each other as far as we didn't just go throw pitches in a game because it worked for a day or two. 
And so, yeah, as you know, I threw the rise ball, then we added the curveball, but each time it was a slow process and it wasn't until, I don't want to necessarily, I didn't always have it completely mastered when we tried it in a game, but I at least had a good feel for it, good, decent enough control of it that we weren't throwing me out there on a whim and just saying, okay, here, like, we're going to learn a curveball today and now we're going to throw it two days later. And I think that mentality actually helped me because slowly but surely, as you get to the point of mastering it, it's so fun to see, okay, I can throw it for a strike and I can throw it purposely for a ball. I can throw it high, I can throw it low, eventually taking some speed off it, whatever it is. But being able to master that, then you just have a whole different sense of confidence other than, oh yeah, I can throw a curveball for a strike. Okay, cool. What about when you don't need a strike? Like, and sometimes I think that's where in pitching people get lost in the, in the game of you don't always have to throw a strike. We can throw a ball and it still can set up something else or still get the hitter. Yeah, I just always, um, not being a hard thrower, knew I had to be able to kind of be crafty. And so to be crafty, you have to know what your pitches are doing. And so took the mindset of really being able to spin them correctly, locate them correctly, and then obviously from there, um, you know, play with them a little bit as far as speeds and locations go. Rise ball pitcher, I would have never guessed. (laughs) I have had the unfortunate, I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity, not for me, but for you to have faced you my rookie season in the pro league. And yes, the balls and the strikes you threw were equally as deceptive. So I can definitely vouch for that. Is there any moment while you were learning these new pitches, do you have any favorite memory where things just kind of went haywire or you finally had this moment of, oh, this is complete confidence. I'm really good at this drop ball pitch. I am really, this is one of the pitches that are going to take me extremely far in my career. Yeah, so the drop ball is a funny story. We probably started playing with it, I guess, my junior year of high school, but not a whole lot. And then getting ready to go into college, my dad was like, you need something that spins down to stay in the park. You know, if you throw rise balls all the time, balls are going to leave the park, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I had grown up throwing what they call a corkscrew fastball. So it has bullet spin, which is still more upspin. He's like, all right, let's work on a downspin fastball. So you can at least just throw a fastball, at least, you know, location that just has a little bit of spin down. And I'm like, all right, cool. So we worked on it. In our minds, we were throwing a downspin fastball. And we went to, we went out to California. I was actually filming the rise ball for Ernie Parker, who legendary pitching coach out there, but he wanted me to come demonstrate the rise ball in his pitching video. And so we went out early to work with him too. And my dad's like, Hey, can you take a look at this downspin fastball she has? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I threw like three of them and he was like, what'd you say this was? And we're like, well, just a downspin fastball. So I have something that's different than my rise ball in college. And he said, I'll, you know, I'm sure you've seen Beth at LSU do the cones and the string and all that. So he set the string out and he's like, throw it again. And of course it crossed the string and and fell off the table. And he's like, that's a drop ball. And my dad's like, no, she used to throw a turnover drop, but it's not very good. And he's like, okay, but this is a drop ball. And then fast forward about six months, my travel team got to play the 2000 Olympic team while they were on tour. And at that point, my dad was like, we've got to throw everything at them. Change up that you don't throw often, rise ball, curve ball, drop ball. Like we just got to mix everything up because they're too good for you to just throw rise balls. And so we threw a couple, I shouldn't say a couple, we probably threw a lot of drop balls in that game. But I know like Bustos in particular, we're like, we're going to go up, then we're going to go in the dirt. And then we're like, don't let her get a hold of anything. And I think the first time she swung at my drop ball, I, I think my eyes got like massively big. And I was like, if she swings at it, it's good. And so um, from then on, uh, I kind of embraced my drop ball and 
the rest is history. Yeah. Now I'm a dropout pitcher and no one would know that I spent about 10 years just throwing nothing but rise balls for the most part. The rest surely is history. The dirtiest rise ball you ever did see coming off of the arm of Kat Osterman. Check out our new gear available on our store at AUProsports.com. Follow us on social at AUProsports. And I just think that your success as a pitcher, it's so awesome to be able to hear that story and how you truly developed into who you are, the player that you are today, and going to be able to be so successful at Texas and then play in the Olympics. How, what were your first initial feelings once you realized that the Olympics was going to be out after 2008? There's so many emotions that went with that. Um, The worst part was, so the vote came out in 2005. And we didn't even know it was occurring. So I literally was on a break from national team stuff back in Austin, hanging out actually with some of our baseball players one night during the summer. And it goes across the bottom line of ESPN. Baseball and softball voted out after 2008. And I hadn't seen it. And a baseball player was like, hey, Kat, it looks like your career is going to be cut short. And I was like, what? Because of course, you know, I'm sure you've spent time before too, like not that all of us plan to play until we're almost 40, but like you put in your head, oh, I'll play until this certain point. And so for me, I was like three Olympics, 2012, pretty cool, do that. And then go on with life, coach, whatever. And he was like, what? And then, so we waited like 10 minutes and it came back across the ticker. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were getting emails and texts from people at USA Softball and, you know, people are going to want to interview you. Um, You know, you can be as honest as you want, but let's have a conversation first before you do any interviews about, you know, what happened and because we were all blindsided. And so it just kind of, it broke your heart knowing that 2008 was it. And then after obviously we got the silver medal in 2008, there was such a finality of, we don't have another opportunity that I think that hit a lot of us so hard and probably harder than it would have if we had known, oh yeah, four more years, we can get revenge or we can, we can be back here. But there was just such a finality of it because we got voted out and probably for ourselves a little bit, just because obviously we were all young enough to still be playing again four years later. But then, you know, once we started talking about it too, it's like, well, if we're out for an unknown period of time, how many other girls are not going to get this opportunity? Because I know, I mean, you can attest, you're fast, I'm not, but I can spin and locate a ball. Monica Abbott can throw 68, and you got Amanda Chittister who can drop bombs. I mean, so many different types of athletes can be successful at this game, and you take that opportunity away from them to play at the, at, you know, at what is the perennial stage of almost any sport is the Olympics. And I just thought that was heartbreaking, not only for us, but then generations to come, because you're just, you gave them hope, and then you just like popped it. Out of, out of thin air without any any heads up, any anything. And I think it's just that sting, it almost intensifies, especially after 2008 when USA lost to Japan, thinking, going to get revenge, going to have this moment to have this comeback. But you, with that opportunity being taken away, and then, you know, you going on with your career, but then retiring in 2015, once you heard that it was going to be coming softball was going to be coming back into the Olympics, you just said, I have to do it. Yeah. This is my time. It took about a year for me to really finally accept that. So it was voted back in in 16. And 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Since the day I retired, Monica Abbott had been sending texts or tweets that are like, hey, think about coming out of retirement. And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> and then it took about a year. So the fall of 17, I was like, you know what? I, if I can, I'm, I have to give it a try at least. I had been I had been in the coaching pool and didn't get selected to be on part of a coaching staff. And I was okay with that. Like I wasn't bummed. And so I think it put the perspective of like, if I have no emotions to not being on the coaching staff, why? And so when I started to kind of dig into like why I didn't really care if I wasn't on the coaching staff, I was like, well, cause I know I can still pitch. And I didn't really physically know that my head and my heart told me that, but I hadn't obviously pitched for almost three years. So I've made the decision within like 36 hours. I know my boss said, you know, we'll make it work if it's what you want to do. And I came home and talked with my husband and Next thing I know, I was in her office like a day and a half later. And I was like, okay, just so you know, this is what I'm going to do. And she was like, oh, already, huh? And I'm like, I either got to go or I don't. There's no like wavering right now. So yeah, I went full blown in. But I think, you know, some of the mental things we've talked about already is what is my strength? You know, I just, I went to, I made a decision, knew what the ultimate goal was and, and, and just went to work physically working out as far as strength and conditioning and running and stuff more than I did pitching. I knew pitching would come back eventually, but I was like, it's been three years since you trained for a purpose. Like you've just been training to make sure you still look good and stay in shape. So (laughs) let's have a purpose to this and dove head first right back into it. And, and as we said, the mundane became really mundane because you talk about starting from scratch in your uh, strength game. It's, it's a whole different ball game. That coming back, that comeback, that mentality, the physicality that comes with that. Is there anything that you, other than running, I know you spoke about that, but anything that really kept you motivated in that time when, like you said, you've been retired for three years, but you had to get back up and get moving. What does that comeback look like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think touch on first why the comeback. Don't get me wrong. There's a small part of me that Yes, the, the the revenge piece, but that wasn't the big piece, the big part of it because again, you can't go get revenge with a team that only has one other person who has that feeling inside of them. And so for me, it was like, well, if we're back in the Olympics and I have the talent and the capability of helping this team win a gold medal, why wouldn't I go do it? I want these girls to be able to stand on the top of that podium and experience that the way I was. And again, I was young when I got to experience that and there were older players who decided to keep playing to, to give me that experience. So kind of was a full circle in my my time to to give back and help this younger team be able to experience that and whether it's just sharing experience or actually being in the circle I didn't care I was just gonna do my best and then so I think my motivation every day even when it got hard was just if I'm a good enough option that they put me on the roster then I need to be able to do this for them. Like I and so every day when I work it gets hard but I remember you know what I'm doing this so that you know, well, it's 17 because Monica doesn't have a gold medal yet either. So that 17 other people have the chance to experience what I got to experience. I want to be able to put myself and them in the best position to hopefully experience that. And it becomes a different, I mean, I can honestly admit prior to retiring, I, prior to, well, saying I was going to retire the first time in like 2012 or 13, not necessarily a selfish player, but just more concerned about myself as far as pitching stats and just making sure I pitched well and the rest of the game would take care of itself. And just probably not, not a bad teammate, but not a good, not someone that you're like, Oh, she's a great teammate. Like I knew that too. And so I think coming back, I was like, you know, I have an opportunity to kind of rewrite the book, so to speak, or at least add a chapter to where 
I can be a little bit different. And, and that was my purpose of coming out of retirement. So I'm like, if your purpose is to give them an opportunity, then give them all of yourself. And I'm, I'm, I'm different as a teammate this time around. And I like that. It makes it more fun. Um, it makes it a little more enjoyable when the times get tough because they have your back because you're able to open up and, and relate. Not that 37 and 21 can relate on a lot of things, <laughs> but we can on soft, the softball field for the most part. Yeah. So every day it's just a remembrance that, you know what, whether it's four months, six months, 14 months, I'm putting in the work to put all 18 of us in the best position possible. Whew. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm, I'm fired up. No, really, though. I mean, I think in this game of softball, the only way to continue to get better is to recreate yourself almost each year. And with you and your longevity of the success that you've had from starting softball, at what age did you start softball? Uh, so I started when I was, I started playing when I was 10, started pitching right before I turned 11. Starting 10 to, you said your age, not me, 37. And I think that, but just the longevity of that is impressive on its own. And it sounds to me, your mentality and your drive and the fire, you can hear it when you speak, the fire in your voice as you talk is what really continues to keep you going and continues to keep people inspired by you. When you went on to the tryout for Team USA and you saw your name, make that list. What were the emotions that went through you? So first, like I go to tryouts not having thrown, I shouldn't say not having to throw to hitters. I threw like three mock innings down in Houston with Scrapyard, like July of 18. But so three mock innings in July and then we try out in January. Other than that, I haven't thrown to live hitters in three years. And so backtrack just a little bit. I made my first national team a week after graduating high school as 18-year-old. And so that was nerve wracking because no one else there was from high school. Like everybody else had at least a year or two of college under their belt. So I was super nervous then. But after that, I felt like most, I knew once you know the system, like, you know, if you perform well enough to make it kind of thing. And so after that first tryout, I was pretty confident. Most of the time, the 04 Olympic team was the only thing, only time I wasn't sure I would make a team. And that was just because of my age. But other than that, I had been pretty confident. So I go into January's trial and I mean, I am nervous as I'll get out you know, I'm super close with Kelly Kretschmann. Tryouts were in Florida. Her mom was there watching. Her mom knew when I was throwing and her mom came over to me and was like, are you okay? Because you look like you're about to throw up. And I'm like, it's the first time in my life that I probably am about to throw up. Like my stomach's, I'm just so nervous. My first game out was terrible. I had no clue where the ball was going. I short hop people, whatever. Got it. It, was that, it, wasn't ter- it wasn't as bad as my head makes it out to be, but it was pretty bad for me. But tryouts go. By the end, I settle in. We're good. I feel like an 18-wheeler hit me because, again, I'm competing in a competitive environment for the first time in three and a half years. And we come home, and they sent out – I remember they said they were going to send out the email at 8 because they were releasing it to the press at 8.30. And so I wake up at 7, kind of go through my morning routine, so to speak, make breakfast. And so 7.58 comes, and I'm hitting refresh, and 7.59, and I'm hitting refresh. And sure enough, 8 o'clock, the email comes, and my husband looks over my shoulder, and I'm like, get away. Like, you don't get to look at this first. And it's the only time in my career that I visually like tears came out of my eyes because I was so excited that I had, I had done it. And, you know, he kind of looked at me and was like, did you really, did you really doubt it? I mean, you said you were, you know, you felt like you threw well. I was like, I felt like I threw well, but every, but a lot of people threw well. And, you know, some people have been in it a little bit longer so far recently than I have. And you just don't know what they see. And if they see, 
that I can even get better than what I was at tryouts once I start playing more. And so, yeah, it was the first time that like tears fell and it just, you know, at 18, it was just pure excitement because it's like dream come true and jump on the bed and act like a fool. But yeah, at 36 to see my name on there and get the opportunity to wear USA again, it was just the flood of emotions and relief was just through the roof in the most exciting yet one of those the last year and a half of, of busting my own butt by myself with my trainer at the weight room, like it, it all paid off. I, as you're speaking, I can literally see it in my head and just see you walking me through that process of you made it. And I think that you are truly the example of it's never too late to be who you might have been. What do you say to those that feel like there's a timeline to getting their dreams done or to achieving things as you're proving there really isn't? There isn't. You know, if in my head I was going to be done in like 2012 and I think that's when I was 29 or 30. Like I didn't even think I was going to play in in my pro ball until I was 33. And then come, you know, there's definitely nowhere where I was going to be 37 and 38 playing softball. Like if you had asked me prior to this, but I think when you listen to your heart and your passions, you can accomplish whatever it is you want, you know, as long as you put the process in front of you and you're committed to that process. And so, yeah, I mean, so many people in my circle close to me were like, oh, we were just waiting for you to make this announcement. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I haven't worked out. I haven't thrown. I haven't worked out. I haven't done anything in three and a half years. But when those people know you and the person you are and the way you work, and then they're going to be in your circle and push you too. And I think, you know, while yes, it's a great accomplishment, it's not done completely by myself by any means. You know, when you have people that are there with you, even if it's just through text or just through being in the weight room with you and giving you a program and you know, they're not necessarily catching you or hitting off you or doing these things, but they're there with you. You can accomplish whatever you want because yeah, I look at it now and I'm like, Jesus, now we're going to be looking at 38 while we're at the Olympics. And I'm like mind blown because I'm like, there's no, there's no point in my career that you had said, Hey, at 38, you're going to still be playing softball. I would have completely laughed at you. But at the same time, as we said, keep recreating yourself. I'm having an absolute blast playing at this age, even when it's hard and it's body hurts or the body doesn't want to move. I still am having probably more fun because I can enjoy it and in just a different perspective after having stepped away for a little bit. As we continue to grow as people and as athletes, I think sometimes we realize things about ourselves that we didn't know we were capable of before. Is there anything throughout this process over the last three years or year, you now going out and making Team USA that you realize about yourself that you didn't know you had in you until recently? Um, Yeah. I mean, when I talk about having more fun with it, I think a large part of my career, people used to be like, do you even enjoy what you do? Cause you don't smile. And I'm like, well, I'm, it's just business between the white lines. It's business. Like I just want to take care of it. And they're like, but unless you get like a big strikeout and then even then you don't smile, you just like scream and fist pump. And I'm like, well, to me, that's a smile. I don't know what else you want out of me. <laughs> but I just didn't, I don't think there was part of me that thought I could relax and let yourself enjoy it. Cause think about it. You can't, you don't ever have enjoyment in tense moments ever. Um, and I think I just kept myself in such an intense mindset that I didn't allow myself to really relax and enjoy moments and I don't know if it's because I'm surrounded by majority of 20 something year old athletes or if it's just, I would, I'll say it's more of a perspective shift. Like I said, being able to come back and do this. I've always enjoyed working hard and hard workouts and bullpens and such like that, but I've just never 
let myself actually relax and enjoy the game. And this time around I can, which is fun because I can turn around on teammates and I'm smiling and laughing and whatever else and still able to do my job at the same intensity without, you know, having to sacrifice. I don't want to say the personal relationships, but just the fun interaction that you can have. I know there's so many. I spoke with Rachel Garcia and she talks about how much she's been able to learn from you with being on Team USA. Would you say being able to just chill is what you've learned from the 20 year olds that you've been able to be teammates teammates with thus far? I think so. I mean, there's, um, and don't get me wrong, they are intense and they work hard, but there is just kind of a a chill vibe when they work that's not necessarily strictly business. And don't get me wrong, there are times where it is strictly business. But yeah, I mean, I think they've taught me that it's okay to kind of let down your guard and relax a little bit. And, you know, bullpens for me used to be, unless Megan Willis was in the bullpen and her and I will gossip left and right because we have 10 years of friendship to deal with. But for most people, it's like, I don't really talk. I just work, tell me how the pitch is. I'll tell you what I think. But other than that, occasionally I'll throw in a bit of either gossip or news or something, but it was just, and now it's like, we chit chat here and there, not to the point that we're obviously distracted, but I can kind of relax a little bit and not, not feel like every day has to be, has to be game day and has to be championship game day to where I'm just like uber focused and not enjoying the process. So yeah, they've, uh, they definitely put a different vibe in me. And I think that's what I bring to the table too, is that intense focus in the, in the right times. So it's an even, it's a good balance. I love that. I love it. Always just keeping up with the spring chickens. I'm not so sure about being surrounded by 55 of you though. (laughs) (laughs) Girl, you still got it. You still got it. When it comes to yourself and just the legacy that you've led on, I know you've been inducted into the Hall of Fame, Texas Sports Hall of Fame, with the likes of my favorite QB, Drew Brees, also Walt Garrison and Shaquille O'Neal, a lot of Louisiana favorites. Yeah. What has that, what in your mind, that experience and just everything that you've done in your career, what to you is Kat Osterman's legacy? Um, I think my legacy is there's an intensity in the way I play the game and I approach the game. There's a passion that even though I don't necessarily smile a lot, like there's a passion I demonstrate about, about the game. And then I think more than anything, I think a lot of people obviously are more avid fans that watch can see kind of the the craftiness we talk about and the game within the game that I've been able to put together. So I think when fans watch, I think it's intensity, passion, as well as just a little bit of, I don't want to say trickery, but just, you know, mastering, mastering my craft. And, and I'm okay with that being my legacy and it not being, you know, the, sometimes it's not the most uber personal person I've worked on that over my career. And I feel like a hundred times better about it now than when I was younger, but I'm okay with it being the way I am on the field and not always just, oh yeah, after the game, she was great and smiling and this. And like, you know, if you're passionate about it, you're going to be a little bit emotionally disturbed after a bad game or whatever. And so been able to obviously flip the switch when we have to go interact with fans. But, you know, I kind of like my legacy being the intensity and passion and, and mastering things. It's just, you know, I felt like that's what I always focused on as a young kid. And so I carried that with me everywhere. And I think that's a quality that we see in truly all of the greats. I don't know if you watch Michael Jordan's docuseries that came out, but yeah. a lot of what you explain in regards to who you are as a competitor sounds exactly what like what I was watching. It's hearing Michael Jordan speak and his teammates speak about him. 
It's so funny. It's so funny you say that because I've told, I've only told like two people. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm like Michael Jordan. He's like up here. But when he, like he would say things, I'm like, that's how I thought. I can relate. I can totally relate to that line of thinking. I mean, there were times that, yes, you get on your teammates and they may not like you. Now, don't get me wrong. I never hit a teammate in practice, but but yeah, it's funny you say that because we were watching it and I'm like, I can totally relate, but I don't want to tell everybody this because they're going to be like, oh, you think you're Michael Jordan. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I just can completely relate to his mindset. Well, you don't, if you don't say it, I'll say it. Cut okay. off, man. The Michael Jordan in softball. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. you also, being a coach at Texas State, how mm. do you feel like that different mindset of being a coach helps you on the field as a player? Yeah, I think, well, first and foremost, I think when you get into coaching and obviously having the opportunity to coach, I coached at DePaul first and then a Division II school, St. Edwards in Austin, before I made the jump to Texas State. And um, getting all those different experiences, you just get different perspectives from other people. Being a drop ball pitcher and more of a spin location and my movement being a little bit different than other people's, I approached calling pitches one way for me and I had to learn the game more so. And so if someone's not a strikeout pitcher, well, I can't, uh, I can't call pitches for them like I would for myself and had to kind of learn that, which then in turn helps me too, because while I get stuck in my ways of, of knowing what a pitch is going to do and, Oh, we can throw it here. Like we might have another option to throw something else because of the way the situation's set up or what the hitter's trying to do with runners on or those kind of things and learn that. And then I think the one part that's always been cool is for most of my coaching career, I was, I was playing. And so I was able to pull more recent experiences to talk with my athletes. But, you know, in talking about coming out of retirement, it was the opposite. It was like having to pull preaching the process and preaching, being patient with yourself and things like that, that I didn't want to, I didn't want it to apply to me, but why wouldn't it apply to me? But, you know, I'd come in from a bullpen and be frustrated and my boss would be like, you've been throwing again for three weeks. Like, did you expect to be at A plus status? And like, I expect that every day. So I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And she's like, patience, process, you know, all these same things we tell our kids. And I'm like, I know. And so one, it was fun. I shouldn't say fun. It's not never fun to have to humble yourself to the point that you're like, yes, you're right. I have to buy into a process. But but it it was cool to like, kind of be able to share that with my kids and they got to see me like they would come out to stretch and you could tell you know if my bullpen was good or bad or and they'd ask questions and be like okay well the drop ball was terrible today which is why I'm in a bad mood but this was better today and this was better today so we're making progress and kind of pulling that way so for the for the first time in a long time my coaching probably actually helped me put the the comeback in perspective and you know, just keep track of the fact that I still had time. It wasn't like I came out of retirement and had a month to be ready to to go compete. Is there a key or a trick to throwing the perfect drop ball? What makes you so successful? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, I don't know. I feel like maybe my wrist snaps, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's necessarily faster than other people's or harder or what. I mean, I do have, don't get me wrong, I have ungodly sized hands um, and fingers, but there's other people that I've met that have similar and it's still not the same. I think I just learned at an early age how to, I say grip a ball, but like grip it just right to where it's not too, it's not too tight, it's not too loose, but like it's enough that I can make it spin and then let it do its own self, its own stuff. But as far as we talk about mastering things, I threw with that lined ball and my dad and I made sure that line was 
straight. I mean, every pitch, if it weren't straight, he was like, it was over here. It was over here. And, you know, we talk about mastering things and just putting ourselves in. I gave up a hundred times more home runs in my driveway than I ever did in my career, I think. Because every time I miss a pitch, he's like, oh, that's gone. Nope, that was gone. I'm like, okay, cool. All right, and let's go back to the next hitter. So I've given up five home runs in today's game in the driveway. <laughs> but it, you know, but then it lets you be able to to move forward. And um, the spin on my pitch is probably the amount of spin. And again, I was never, at some point I was the tallest kid, but I wasn't for most of my career. I didn't hit six foot till probably my senior year of high school. So I was kind of in the middle and then slowly started kind of being on the upper end of height. Never was a big, strong kid. I was a string bean and probably the strongest I've ever, I shouldn't say ever, but close to the strongest I've ever been now than I think 06, 07, I was probably in a, in a, as good of a place. But so yeah, I, I couldn't worry about spin or speed. I mean, so I always just tried to spin it as fast as I could. And from there we worked on placing it. So I think it was just an upbringing of, kind of be in the runt, so to speak, as a pitcher. I have plenty of stories from travel ball where people thought they should have been teeing off on me and the coach is yelling that I'm nothing but a string bean. How are you not hitting it? Or she's throwing it 40 miles an hour. How are you not hitting it? And I'm just sitting out there like, I can hear you. Thanks. Do you have a favorite memory from travel ball where someone's uh, just talking smack and you're like, oh, but you have no idea. Yeah. Well, I, funny, we played a team out of Louisiana, actually. And um, I'm assuming you've seen at least video of Kristen Schmidt's throwing. So her and I were very similar body types, taller, thin. Our arm circles don't go uber fast. I mean, we were, we actually played on a team together growing up. So it was like right-handed and left-handed version of the same pitcher, which is crazy. So I was built like that and I'm, you know, just throwing it in there spinning and yeah, the, it's like the fourth or fifth inning. And I'm pretty sure I had a no hitter going and the coach is just out there. She's not even blowing it by you. I don't understand. This shouldn't be that this hard to hit. And like, he's, you know, I'm sure trying to rile his team up and I'm just like, but we ended up winning. I think pretty sure I threw a no, I finished the game with a no hitter and I was just like, see you tomorrow, dude. Like, hope you guys come back and win because I'm ready for game two. But I got it a little bit. I mean, I got it quite a bit growing up. Obviously, when we got to 18 under and people start talking about who's getting recruited where and that kind of stuff, it wasn't as much. But yeah, from 14 to 16 under, it was it was interesting because you'd have people who would be like, oh, she hits her spots and changes speeds. And then you'd have the others that are like, I don't get it because I wasn't throwing the, the heater like everyone else. Maybe that's where you got your stoic from. Your stoic... Probably. Like up there, just everyone's yelling and she's like, okay, you know what? I don't have to say anything. Right. I don't need to make any motions. Y'all are just going to see. And at the end of the day, I'm just going to turn around with a little, mm. Yeah, that's pro- <laughs> probably, my dad probably was like, ignore them. Just focus. Just ignore them. So. Oh, I love that. With you moving forward and with everything that you've done, but now going for the gold in 2021, what is a gold-plated mentality? How does Team USA come home with the gold? You know, I want to say, one, I mean, team chemistry, you have to be, but everybody has to be all in. Everybody has to be ready to work hard for the same goal. And obviously we were in the middle of that when, when COVID hit and everything's been kind of altered. But as I mentioned earlier, it's keeping that mentality and keeping our eyes on that ultimate goal. But at the same time, it's, it's preparation. And it's once we get over there, it's trusting our preparation. Once you get over there, you don't try harder. You don't try to do anything different. It's taking however many games we play on tour and it's taking all those experiences and letting them 
just kind of let us have confidence. And so our, our mentality will be, you know, for one, it's 18 of us, all 18 together, alternates included, playing for each other, but just being confident, being confident in each other. And I think that's what this younger group and, you know, I think in college, it's come to the point too, like you always have kind of a slogan or a motto as the, as the years go on. And we had a couple years in college where we had mottos, but not something that, you know, was as prevalent as it is today. And so our team is, you know, they constantly say sometimes you, sometimes me, but always us. And to me, that's been the coolest thing because no matter what, it is always us. And so that'll be what we go in there with is, is always us and having confidence in every single person, one through 18. Always us. I hope you guys put that on shirts because I know a lot of people love to love to wear that. I love that. Say it again. Sometimes you, sometimes me, always us. Yep. Boom, boom. I didn't come up with I didn't come up with that. I'm not gonna take credit. It's just what they say. And so it's but it's been a really cool, like I said, perspective shift. And it's it's fun to play with people that that's the way they look at things. I love that so much and really, really, really love getting the chance to talk with you. So again, the Michael Jordan, I already pronounced it. It's been said of softball, Kat Osterman. Thank you so much for sharing how you have been hard-headed in your pursuit of success in this game of failure and telling us just how everyone else can do so as well. Kat, you are one in a million, and I thank you again for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's been fun, and uh, I hope everybody got a little bit of a takeaway from it. I learned how to throw a drop ball. There you go. We can practice it when we all get to Chicago. (laughs) It might not be good, but I learned. Thank you. You're very welcome. Bye. Bye.